delight to be with you and to meet some of you for the first time and to renew acquaintances. And uh, as your pastor said, we are Jeff and Sherry Newman. And I hate to admit it, but I went through a period of time in junior high where I wish my name was spelled with a G. So, oh well. I guess transparency is a good thing. Anyway, it's good to be with all of you. We're excited about the ministry that the Lord has laid on our hearts, and we, the video introduced it. There's many layers to that ministry, more than we'll be able to share with you this morning, but I invite you to our display table, and I draw your attention there to a couple of information sheets and to our prayer card and to a place to sign up for our prayer update. There are two information sheets back there. One gives more information about the various layers of safe haven for missionary soul care. Ministry to pastors of missionaries ascending churches, ministry to missionaries as they will come to be with us for a period of time in a ministry home, ministry to missionaries as we'll travel around the world as needed to be with missionaries in various transitions of their lives. And that information sheet gives you more about us, more information about us and about the ministry. There's a second information sheet there that is about a ministry home. We're asking the Lord to provide for us a ministry home uh, where missionaries can come a week or two and where they can uh, just do life together and we can work with them and pray with them and just, just hang out together uh, and a place where we can have an office where we can reach around the world. We're already doing that. We meet with two to four missionaries a week in various capacities, usually video conference. We're thankful to the Lord that we've already interacted with missionaries on five different continents. And so a missionary home where our ministry home where missionaries can come and be with us, where we can have an office, where we can reach around the world, and a place where we can lay our heads at night as well. And there's an information sheet about that. We've been on deputation since December of 2020, or not December, uh, September of 2020, so we're just ending a couple of years of that, and you can continue to pray for us in the launch of this ministry and the travel of deputation, and we invite you to rejoice with us. A couple of years of deputation, the Lord's already brought us to 78% of our needed support, and He's already brought in 93% of the funds projected to be needed for that ministry home. We'll be here during the break before lunch. We'll be here for lunch. And we want to help you in any way possible to understand the ministry and even to talk with you about ways you can continue to be a blessing to, uh, to missionaries around the world. Let's open the Word together. Uh, open the Word together with me to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. We're going to be in two places this morning. Matthew chapter 14 by way of introduction. Matthew chapter 28, where we'll spend most of our time together. And we're going to ponder this topic, the topic, Doubting Disciples. And I want you to consider a couple of questions as I read from Matthew chapter 14 and from Matthew chapter 28. I want you to consider who are all the people involved, the disciples, and what are the situation, what's the situation in which they find themselves, and how are they responding to that situation? So the disciples, what is the situation they're in? How are they responding to the situation? Consider Christ. Where is he, and how does he respond to the disciples? So you follow along with me in Matthew chapter 14, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 22, and as I read, you ponder those questions. Matthew 14, 22 says, Immediately Christ made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. 
And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Now, turn over a few pages with me to Matthew chapter 28. And as I read a few verses from Matthew chapter 28, I invite you to ask yourselves the same questions. The disciples, what's their situation? What's their response to their situation? Christ, who is he and what's his response to the disciples? Matthew 28, as you well know, takes place at the very end of Christ's earthly ministry. The disciples had witnessed the resurrection. They had witnessed the resurrected Christ. They come to him at an appointed place in time in the same region of Galilee where the previous account took place. And let's begin reading at verse 16 of Matthew 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We're thankful for the privilege we have had of rehearsing truth from your word in our own hearts as we've sung together this morning. We pray as we look into your word now that you would encourage us, that you would uh, take us in times of doubt and you would encourage us with your son's response to us in times of doubt, anxiety, fears, hesitations in our lives. And I pray that in addition to encouraging us, that you would direct us, that you would give us your direction of how to respond to you during times in our lives of doubt, anxiety, fears, hesitations. Help us to not only know your heart for us, but help us to know the path that we should follow in those times of doubt. Thank you. In your son's name, amen. Now, I'm not going to do this, but suppose I asked you to stand with me again, and after you were all standing, I, I made this statement. If you're here this morning, and you've never had in your walk with the Lord any time of doubt, any time of hesitation, any time of worry, any time of fear, you can sit down, and the rest of us will stay standing for the remainder of the service. Would you sit down? And I want you to notice how I worded that, okay? I said, you can sit down, and the rest of us will stay standing. Because if you sat down, and we were going to think the best of you, we might think, there's a person who's not very self-aware. And if we weren't going to think the best of you, we might mark you and think, I better watch out for her. I better watch out for him. He might not be truthful about other things as well, right? Because the reality is walk with God for any length of time, and we go through times of doubt. We go through times of anxiety. We go through times of fear. We go through times of hesitation. And if you're like me, there's a couple significant questions that come on to your heart during those times. 
One of those questions is, how is it that Christ responds to me in the middle of my doubts? And the other question is, what do I do now? How do I respond to this time, especially if you've circled back into this in your life a few times? How do I respond to times of doubt, anxiety, fear, hesitations in my walk with the Lord? We're going to look at those questions. The first question by way of introduction, how is it that Christ responds to us in the middle of our doubts? And really, we saw it in the text we read together this morning. What happened with Peter? Peter, in faith, believed what the Lord said, asked to come to him on the water, and he started to have his fears. He started to have his anxieties. He started to doubt. And as he started to doubt, he started to sink. And what was Christ's response to him? Christ's response to him was to rescue him. And when they were back in the boat, what did Christ do? Christ gave him instruction. Christ sought to grow him. Think about the situation with the disciples. They had experienced all the ministry of Christ. They had gone through the grief and the quandary of the crucifixion. They'd gone through the rejoicing and the quandary of the resurrection. And they come to him and they worship, and some of them doubt. By the way, ponder this for just a moment. All of them worshiped, some of them doubted. Aren't you thankful that you can still worship the Lord in the middle of your doubts? They all worshiped, some of them doubted. And what was Christ's response to them in the middle of their doubts? His response to them was to move forward with the eternal plan of establishing his church and using these disciples to be a part of it. So how does Christ respond to his doubting disciples? Now for just a quick moment, we need to wrestle with one text of Scripture that at first glance, without a careful reading, seems to contradict what we saw of Christ's response to his disciples in the Gospels. And we're going to do this because if you're a person who this text of Scripture comes onto your heart in the midst of your doubts, anxieties, hesitations, I want you to locate it properly in your understanding. You don't need to turn there, but it's found in James chapter 1. And just listen to this text, and let's make some connections to what we just read. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Verse 5 is really a verse of hope. Go to God in the middle of your trials and testings. Ask Him for wisdom. And the God you ask is generous. And the God you ask doesn't scold you for asking. But then you have verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So if James chapter 1 applied to Peter... Where would you expect to find Peter today? Bottom of the Sea of Galilee, right? There'd be archaeological articles written about a search for his bones. So how do we bring these together? Well, James is talking about a different quality of doubt, not the doubt of in the middle of that doubt, in the middle of the anxieties, in the middle of those fears, we're still trying to follow the Lord. We're still seeking to walk the path, even though path is really dark and murky. James is talking about the person who in the middle of doubts, anxieties, fears, hesitations, turns away from the Lord. They're double-minded. When in one moment they think God's way will get them what they want, the next moment they think their own way will get them what they want, and they go back and forth. They're split in their soul. And the word doubt carries with it the idea in that text of debating the purposes of God. Now, pause for just a moment. If you're here this morning, and in the middle of your doubts, fears, and anxieties, you aren't just leaning forward in your walk with the Lord, but you've turned away from the Lord. Rejoice because there's always a way back. And if, if you find yourself turned away from the Lord this morning, 
I'd love to talk to you. I know your pastors would love to talk to you about coming back to the path of walking with faith, with worship in the Lord in the middle of doubts, fears, anxieties, hesitations. So what's the response of the Savior to us in the middle of our doubts, in the middle of our hesitations? We've seen it in the book of Matthew. Christ purposes to rescue us in the middle of our doubts. Christ purposes to grow us in the middle of our doubts. Now, what's our response to him? Matthew chapter 28, as Matthew records the Great Commission, I'm going to suggest to you that he's focusing on those worshiping, doubting disciples in his record of what Christ said at the giving of the Great Commission. And in that, he is giving for us uh, direction. What do we do? What does the path look like for us to continue to trust the Lord in the middle of doubts, in the middle of fears, in the middle of anxieties, in the middle of hesitations? What's that path look like? It looks like continuing to listen to the Savior. It looks like continuing to lean on the Savior. And of course, then the question becomes, how do we do that? And I want you to notice where Christ starts in this record that Matthew makes of the Great Commission. He starts by saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How do we listen to the Savior? How do we lean on him in the middle of those doubts? We trust his authority. Look at what he says. He says, all authority, all of the right to command and control, all of creation has been entrusted to me. And it's been entrusted to me in heaven and on earth. And it's entrusted to me never to be taken away. And it's entrusted to me alone. And these worshiping, doubting disciples needed to hear this. They had witnessed all of the authority of Christ being exercised on the earth, and now they were going to to soon experience watching him ascend into heaven, and they needed to know in the middle of their doubts, fears, anxieties, that the authority they saw him exercise was not going away when they couldn't see him any longer. What do we do in our doubts, fears, worries, anxieties? We keep trusting the reality that he's in charge. For sure, he exercises his authority in different ways today than he did when he was on the earth, but you know as well as I do that he's still in charge, and you know that there's coming a day where he will be back here again, and he will exercise his authority again in yet a different way as he fulfills the role that has been planned for all eternity. Growing up, it was a tradition in our family for all the cousins to go to grandma and grandpa's house for uh, vacation Bible school, a week of vacation Bible school. And the kids thought it was fantastic. And the parents thought it was a really good idea too. Anyway, and our daughter Johanna was the oldest of the female grandchildren. And she especially loved going to grandma's house for that week of vacation Bible school because she was grandma's helper. And grandma's a smart lady, and so grandma not only asked her to help, but grandma entrusted her with the authority she needed to help. And my daughter, Johanna, who's now grown and lives in Mesa, Arizona with her family, my daughter really liked the authority grandma gave to her. And she especially liked the authority that she could exercise over her older brother. Well, the, this is not surprising any of you who are parents, right? Uh, and so and it's probably not surprising any of the children either, but anyway... So the week came to an end, and they came back home. And authority had to be reshuffled when they came back home because there's one mom and dad, and there's one queen of our house, and many of you already have met her. And this dad, it took a couple of years for me to figure out, how do I negotiate this reshuffling of authority in a way that's helpful and not bad? Uh, Aren't you glad that with Christ there's never a reshuffling of authority? 
You know, you look at the news, and there's times in the news it's hard to find evidence he's in charge. In the middle of doubts, hesitations, fears, anxieties, you start looking inside, and it's really easy to doubt his authority. But thank the Lord that we don't have to look for evidence outside of us in the world around us, that we don't have to look deep in our own hearts for evidence he's in charge. He's told us so in his word. And what do we do in doubts? What do we do in our worries, our fears, our anxieties, our hesitations? We keep leaning on him. We keep listening to him. And we lean on him and listen to him. What do we do? We trust his authority. He's the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, entrusted to him forever and to him alone. Notice what happens in the, ne- in the text next. Really familiar. Christ says to them, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we listen to our Savior by trusting His authority, and we listen to the Savior by obeying Him. Ponder this. These disciples who are doubting, Christ moves forward with a plan. I'm going to walk farther and farther away from the pulpit for just a minute. You'll understand why in a second. You know, this is a place in the ministry of Christ where if I was him, now you know why I'm way over here and not over there. If I was him, I might step away, step aside, and say to the Father, I think we need another plan. Really, these guys still have their doubts and their fears and their worries after they've been through all of this, they've heard my teaching, they've seen my miracles, they still doubt. But don't miss this, that is not what happens. And just as he, with these doubting disciples, wanted them to move forward in obeying him, move forward in following him, he wants the same for us. In the middle of our doubts, in the middle of our fears, in the middle of our anxieties, what do we do? We obey his commands, and centrally, the command to stay involved in our part of the work of making disciples of all nations. What does Christ say? Make disciples of all the nations. How do you do that? You go. You go where the Lord's placed you and you be willing to let the Lord move you to any place on the planet to go and be involved in the work of making disciples. You make disciple-making the orienting purpose of all of your relationships. Think about this with me for a moment. You know key, important, essential things about every person you'll ever encounter before you ever meet them. If you think about the Word of God and what the Word of God says about people. You know key essential things about every person you meet before you meet them. What do you know about them? You know that this is a person created in the image of God. You know of every person you meet before you meet them that this person is a sinner for whom Christ died. So you know this person is a person created in the image of God for whom Christ died. Sinner for whom Christ died. You know of every person you encounter that they live in a fallen world like you do. And life in a fallen world comes with what? Life in a fallen world comes with suffering. You suffer the effects of the fall in your physical body, the effects of the fall in the world, the winter's coming. Uh, You also suffer the effects of people sinning against you. So every person you encounter, before you meet them, before you even have a sense of being able to see anything of their likeness, you know key essential things about them that ought to orient us to making disciple-making the purpose of that relationship. person created the image of God, a sinner for whom Christ died, a person who in a fallen world who has a story of suffering. The question becomes, do we let the Lord's desires for that relationship set the agenda, or is it our desires for that relationship that set the agenda? God wants us to make disciple-making the orienting purpose of all of our relationships. And this is hopeful because 
aren't you thankful that you get to be a part of God's work of making disciples? And aren't you thankful that you're only a part of that work? Ponder your own life. There may have been one or two or three people that the Lord used the most in your coming to Christ, in your walk of discipleship. But the more you ponder, the more you consider the work of God in your life, the the longer the list of people God's used in your life grows. And if we make every encounter we have with every person oriented on the purpose of making disciples centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ, what happens? We fulfill our part of the ministry of the Great Commission. And we can do that on days when we feel strong, and we can do that on days when we feel weak. We can do that on days where anxieties seem 100 miles away, and we can do that on days where worries, fears, doubts cling to us, and we aren't able to seem to shed them. God wants us to stay involved in our part of the working of making disciples. We encourage people who come to Christ to be baptized, to identify with Christ's death and resurrection, to become a part of a, lo- of a local expression of his body, the local church. And then we're taught and we teach all the truth of Christ for the purpose of living it out. Teach them to observe all things. You teach the content of the truth because you can't live truth you don't know, right? You teach the truth so that you can live the truth, and the truth taught has the purpose of it impacting and changing our lives because truth not taught is truth lost, and truth not lived is truth lost. And what does God want us to do? In the middle of our fears, worries, doubts, hesitations, he wants us to play our part in the work of making disciples of all nations and to do that in a way where we're involved in being under the teaching and through our lives and through our words in whatever role he's given to us, teaching the truth of Christ for the purpose of lives transformed into the image of Christ. I want you to ponder this with me. People in doing their part of the Great Commission always did it in the middle of fears, always did it in the middle of worries, anxieties, challenges. It's the end of October. What is today often thought about, or the end of October often thought about, besides Halloween? The Reformation, right? The, the, the Martin Luther and the 95 Theses. Look at the quote. It's from, the, it's from a commentary in the book of Job. Look at the quote in front of me. The Apostle Paul experienced discouragement when he wrote, 2 Corinthians, we're burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life, even we had the sentence of death in ourselves. You think about it. Most of the Apostle Paul's ministry took place in the middle of fears, in the middle of of challenges, anxieties in his life. Read the Psalms. The, The life of the believer portrayed in the Psalms is a life again and again and again of questions about God, of of hesitations, anxieties, fears about God, postured to learn from him, postured to keep following him. And a, a quote that you read a lot and see a lot this time of year from Martin Luther, he said, for more than a week I was close to the de- gates of death and hell. I trembled in all my members. Christ was wholly lost. I was shaken by desperation and blasphemy of God. And you follow church history and you talk about our Baptist forefathers and you read them and you read transparent accounts about them and their service happened in the middle of doubts. Their service happened in the middle of fears. Their service happened in the middle of anxieties. Why should it be any different for us? Right? And what do we do in our doubts, our fears, our worries, our anxieties? We keep listening to him. We keep leaning on him. We keep following him. How do we do that? We trust the truth that he's in charge. 
And we stay engaged in our part, even though that part changes across our life, even though at times our part has more limitations to it than at other times of our lives. We still stay engaged in our part of the work of the Great Commission, and we have willing, open hands before the Lord to let, us lead, to let Him lead us anywhere He wants to lead us on the planet to be a part of that work in the middle of doubts, fears, worries, and anxieties. Notice how Matthew concludes his account of the Great Commission led by the Spirit of God. He says there at the end of verse 20, and Christ saying, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We listen to our Savior by trusting His authority. We listen to the Savior in the middle of our doubts by obeying Him, staying engaged in our part of the work of the Great Commission. And then we listen to the Savior. We keep leaning on Him by resting in the promise of His presence. Look at those words in front of you on the page. If Matthew was going for efficiency of words, if the Spirit of God was going for efficiency of words as he carried Matthew along in writing this, he could have said what's said there in four words that would, four English words, I am with you. There's more than four words there, right? And why more words? The words are there for emphasis. And the words are, that the New Testament is recorded in front of us are recorded in a language that changes the spelling of its words to show parts of speech. It changes its spelling of the words to show uh, the, the, the verb, to show the pronoun that the verb goes with it. English does some of that. If you've learned a foreign language or there's a foreign language that you're, it's not a foreign language to you, then if your heart language is different than English, uh, you understand this. And when a language changes the spelling of its words a lot to show parts of speech and to show the subject, one of the things that happens is the word order isn't there to show subject, verb, and so on. Sorry, I, didn't, I know you didn't come to church for an English lesson, but the, the word order is not there to show the function in the sentence. The word order is there to show emphasis. So when you look at the screen, the word order there didn't get, didn't get fuzzied in the transition of the technology. What's Christ saying here? Okay, what, what's, what's Christ saying here? First, he starts by saying, behold, which is a word of interjection where Christ says, everything I've been saying to you is really important, but I really don't want you to miss what I'm saying now. So he slows down, he draws their attention to him by saying, behold. And then he gets very personal, okay? He gets very personal. I with you in. It is, it's this face-to-face, heart-to-heart exchange where he says to his disciples, don't miss this. I truly with you am. And that change, as subtle as it was and is, would have got their attention. But that isn't all that happens in the text, right? No, Christ says to his disciples, behold, don't miss this. I truly with you am always each and every moment and it doesn't stop there i truly with you am each and every moment until when until the end of the age and when the plan of god and the story of god is all done and completed where are we who have our faith in the lord jesus christ we're with him what do we do in our doubts what do we do in our hesitations? We believe him when he says, don't miss it. I truly with you in each and every moment until the plan is done and you're with me. We rest in the promise of his presence. 
you know that the presence of another person makes a difference. The presence of another person in your life makes a difference. And the presence of Christ and the person of his Holy Spirit ought to make a difference in his life. That presence made a difference in the life of the disciples. It gave them peace. Think in terms of what we just read of Peter walking on the water and the peace that came over him when he was rescued. The other time where Christ was asleep in the boat and the disciples thought they were going to die, they awaken Christ and he speaks, peace be still, and immediately the sea is calm. Christ's presence in the disciples' life, his presence in our life brings peace. Christ's presence produces provision. This one, the feeding of the 5,000, captures my attention because I used to work for one of the members of your church in dining services, Terry Waltersdorf. And I learned some key things in that profession. Uh, people want what they eat, when they want to eat it, in the quantity they want to eat it, right? And if you, if you doubt that, uh, think about what happened when you went to a restaurant the last time and you picked out what you were going to order and the server said, oh no, we ran out of that. Or you place that order and you expected your food in five minutes and it took 25 minutes. Those aren't happy times, right? So think about the feeding of the 5,000. People there after a long day of teaching and the disciples conclude what I would have concluded. We need to send them home. And Christ says, I think we should feed them. And so they take inventory. And they take inventory and what do they find? They find Five loaves, two fishes, right? I always get those turned around, make sure I'm getting this right. Uh, one more page here. I got it right. Five loaves, two fishes. I should have trusted myself the first time. Anyway, and the disciples thought in their mind that confirmed their plan. We need to send them home so they can get something to eat. And what did Christ say? Sit them down. What does that do? That creates expectation. And knowing what I know from my days, services, this is the time I might have leaned to a fellow disciple and say, I think we just need to follow him to the death. But they sat down, the Lord, the Lord prayed, and think about it. Okay, you're one of the disciples starting to hand this out. Five loaves, two fishes, looking for an escape, and there is no escape because you're out in the open and there's a lot of hills around there. And you start handing them out, and you keep handing them out, and handing them out, and handing them out, and 5,000 men and all the women and children that are with them get fed, and you gather up what's left over and you take inventory again. And there's 12 baskets full. The presence of Christ reminded them that he provides for them. Think of Peter. I'll follow you all the way to the death. Christ, no, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And he does. And when it comes time for there to be restoration, who pursues whom? Christ pursues Peter, right? And restores him. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And what happens? The presence of Christ made a difference in Christ's life. Now, for sure, they were going to experience the presence of Christ and the person of the Spirit in a different fashion. And they experienced that peace, provision, purity in the middle of great hardship, in the middle of difficulty. But the reality is that the presence of Christ makes a difference in our lives. What do we do? What do we do in times of doubt, hesitation, fear, worry in our lives? We keep listening to our Savior. We keep trusting Him. We keep leaning on Him. We keep walking forward in this path of faith with Him. And how do we do that? We do that by trusting His authority. 
Even when it looks like he's not in charge, especially when it looks like he's not in charge, he's still in charge. We, we keep moving forward in our part of obedience to the Great Commission. We keep staying engaged in our part of the work of making disciples. And then we know that whether it's in times of strength or in times of weakness, whether it's right here in our own place or whether it's us or our children that God sends to another place on the planet, in the middle of the challenges, doubts, and hesitations of that, He's with us. We can rest in the promise of His presence because He is with us. Why? Because in the middle of those doubts, fears, worries, anxieties, the Savior purposes to rescue us and the Savior purposes to grow us. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we are thankful that you have not left us to ourselves to make sense out of life, but that in your word you have revealed the truth of your plan, enough information about you and your plan for us to come to faith in the finished work of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to walk by faith. And we're thankful that in the middle of our fears, worries, hesitations, and doubts, we don't have to make up what your response to us is. We don't have to make up our own plan for how we respond. But you have given us direction, hope, and help in your word to uh, direct our hearts and to encourage our hearts in the middle of fear, worry, anxiety. Help us to be people who trust your heart for us, that your desire in the middle of those challenges in our lives is to rescue us, that your desire is to grow us and help us to keep listening. Help us to keep leaning on you, leaning on our Savior. Help us to trust the reality that your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is still in charge and that all of the, all of the prophecies of your word will take place in the way that you made them. Help us to be people who obey you in the middle of our doubts and hesitations. Stay engaged in the work of the Great Commission and the part you've entrusted to us. And then help us to remember and to rest in the truth that you yourself, through your Spirit, are always with us each and every moment until the plan is done. And we who have placed our faith in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, are with you forever. Thank you. We love you. In your Son's name, amen.